Hi everyone, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to take a moment before today's episode to touch on a few things. So my book, The Caregiver Chronicles, 22 Family Caregivers Get Real About the Ties That Bind, has been climbing the charts. And the reviews, the five-star reviews, continue to roll in on Amazon. And it's just, uh, I don't know, makes my heart so happy. So if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out yet, please do and go read those reviews and order yourself a copy. You can get it in Kindle or paperback. Um, And also, it's now available on Goodreads as well as um, Barnes & Noble. So you can check it out there. and bookstores, smaller bookstores, stores are starting to carry it. Uh, all of the authors live scattered about the country, so everybody's doing their part to try to get this into libraries and bookstores. So uh, ask for it in your own indie bookstore or your Barnes & Noble or wherever it is that you shop for books. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for your support. If you have read it and written a review, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now for today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and thrilled to have with me today, Jamie Mailer, MS, LMHC, is a New York-based psychotherapist and mental health educator behind the popular Recollected Self social media brand. Mailer's therapeutic education on trauma and toxic relationships has gone viral on TikTok, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube with millions of views and likes. So, I mean, that's so awesome. So welcome, Jamie. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited that we can start talking about this. It's a sensitive topic, but it's a, it's a really good topic for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. And I'm going to hold this up immediately. So for those that will on YouTube watching toxic relationship recovery is, is the latest book. I know how cool it's, I mean, do you just want to hug it when like, I words? did want to hug it when I got it. It was a labor <laughs> of love. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. That that's a, that's one of those topics that's it's heavy material, but it's such a needed conversation because as you know, the numbers are sadly staggering. Yeah. There's it's, I mean, the thing is, is when you take a toxic relationship and it goes unattended and it gets, you know, festering and it basically evolves into its own very unique prison. Um, what, what ends up happening is like some of these end game, you know, results are just tragic. Like people end up, you know, families end up ripped apart or like there's, you know, financial abuse. Sometimes there's even death. So like, it's, it's not really, you know, it's not really talked about the massive implications of these types of relationships going unattended and really not paying attention to how intense they can be. And this is what that book's about, right? Like we, toxic relationship recovery is about identifying in the beginning, like actually being able to identify what these things look like. And even in the nuance, the things that people don't pay attention to, the, the like small things, right? That's the one thing I pride myself on the book uh, that I did, which is I, I kind of put your feet on the ground with me and say, this is what it's going to feel like at a restaurant. This is what it's going to feel like when you're eating dinner. This is what it's going to feel like when you're excited about something, you know, and I talk about your everyday life experiences that aren't usually covered in the, the clinical literature because it's usually like the most extreme of the extreme, 
Whereas most of the things that we see in toxic relationships are categorized in the like complex trauma category, which is very insidious. It's, it's, I call it drip trauma in the book. And I use that visual because it's almost like the trauma slowly drips over us and we barely, we can barely notice that we're starting to drown in the trauma. It's an acronym and I can go into it, but it's basically an acronym to help you remember about complex trauma is trauma that slowly enters your life so insidiously that you don't even recognize how bad it's become. And that's where you find it in the everyday life. You find it in the small interactions when you're at a, you know, a store with your partner or, you know, when you go to a party with them or when you have a great achievement and you see their reaction and it's incredibly defensive, you know, so on and so forth. So yeah, a lot of this is about identifying, but then the, then we get to the really nice part, like the really like recovery part of the book where I talk directly to the reader. And that that's one of my favorite parts too. The whole thing, the whole thing, I really think people will get a lot out of for sure. Oh, wonderful. I've, I've been writing my memoir for 10 years. <laughs> it's wow. been a very long process. And um, yeah, I always, when I, when I give presentations uh, as a speaker, I always talk about like, okay, I'm going to give you the ugly facts first. And then I'm going to get to the happy and hope part because it, there really is hope, which is the, oh, yeah. the message we want to give folks is that if you're in this type of relationship or have been, but you're still because you still live with the ramifications of it. I know you you talk about college age um, women who are still, um, you know, it's impacting their future relationships. Yeah, what is, what's so interesting is, is when you really think about when we start normalizing this, obviously it starts in like childhood where we see different types of relationships modeled. And I really try to go into the beginning of that book. I talk about, I, I say, listen, it's not just the parents. Many people think it's the parents, but it's also people like it's sometimes really um, let's say you were a high performing athlete and you started a, sp- a sport at like three or five. Right. And you had a type of coach that was like a very cruel role model to you. Like they were like, this is the only way you'll receive love. This is the only way I'll give you gratitude. This is the only way you'll ever amount to anything. And they're modeling like, a very cruel power exchange and you're developing constructs around how you give and receive, you know, I guess like in that, I guess you could call it love, but in reality, it's like reward, right? Like when, you know, you're getting the reward of the coach patting you on the back. Right. And so sometimes people create these constructs around different models other than their parents. Many times it is the parents, but it can be other models like our media model. This is a huge thing for the up and coming youth, like, um, and the people that are becoming young adults right now, um, the people that were raised with the Instagram generation, the TikTok generation, like we have these two generations that are getting older and older and what we consume becomes what we normalize. I'll say that again, what we consume becomes what we normalize. So as much as, it sounds, what's the word? It sounds harmless, right? When I tell you, oh, oh, let's watch Love is Blind. Like, let's watch, uh, you know, 
love overboard or whatever like you know I don't you know what I'm talking like all the like reality I'm not I'm quoting I don't even watch them so basically like the love the one that's on the boat the yacht thing whatever though like right. there's all those I don't like, watch it either so yeah. I don't watch them but like it's it's okay I mean I get a lot of people do and there's no like I'm not trying to sit here and shame anyone who watches those I have a lot of people in my life that love those um but the thing that I'm going to point out to you is without a discerning mind it is not the safest type of content to consume. And that's not from a religious angle. It's not from a political angle. I am not having an agenda trying to like convince you one way or the other, like everyone needs to watch this kind of media. No, I'm just saying without discerning what you're watching as not normal, you see someone lying, constantly being deceptive, going behind someone's back, just treating them very poorly, making them embarrassed in a public place, um, you know, backstabbing them. And these are all the like makings of a reality TV show on relationships. And what ends up happening is when we're in a relationship like that, we feel like we know it's wrong, but we've seen it before. That's what I try to tell people. I go, you might have not endured it, but you've seen it before. And you remember that has an implication. Like I saw a guy talk to his, you know, what he said, he loved her, talk to her like this. And as much as you're like, that doesn't feel good when they talk to me like that, it already got broken the glass of like somewhat normalcy. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I'll give him a second chance. And like, what do you go off? You go off an old pattern you saw and you think, I mean, did the guy eventually say sorry? I guess he did, right? And it's like, okay, well, that that doesn't necessarily mean this person is not a harmful person in your life, right? Just because at the end of the episode, the guy comes back and says, oh, that was messed up, right? I go, that's what every abuser does. Most abusers will come back around and say, I fucked up or, oh, sorry, <laughs> I screwed up. <laughs> I don't know if we can swear. No, it's I, all good. I say, <laughs> I don't even know. I went, okay. So like I screwed up and I, I was like, oh, that made everything okay. Right. So then we experience that in life. And I talk about this a bit in the first chapter. I talk about our media influences as something that we really downplay. And I don't mean like the whole, you know, when people are like video games, if someone pretends they're shooting a zombie, they're going to go, you know, and I'm like, I understand that there's some limitations where it's not always you pretended to shoot a zombie so you're gonna shoot so you know what I mean it's not always that translatable but what I will warn people is pay attention to the type of content you consume and if it's considered chaotic I'm being serious like if your content that you listen to is normalizing murder and at me think about the true crime I was a huge true crime like fan for a long time and I realized that was part of my trauma recovery is that I really craved chaos and it wasn't until I stopped listening to it almost every day, I literally listened to it almost every day, that I realized I was craving a chaotic energy in my life. And so what's interesting is when you look at some of these models, this is where we can feel like, yeah, it's normal if someone wants to hurt me, or it's normal if someone lies to me, or it's normal if my relationship is filled with someone throwing things or me cursing at them because we see this all the time and we're like we know it doesn't feel good but we almost create this concept of like isn't this how it is and I want to just look and shout from the rooftops no it is not like this in healthy dynamics 
your relationship will look nothing like a reality TV show. It will, if you are in a healthy functioning relationship, you are not going to make it on reality TV show. It will not be what the producers are looking for, right? So if you're, if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, no, my relationship would make it to reality TV show. It's that intense. I go, well, that's what I want you. That's why I want you to pick up the book, right? Like I want you to pick up the book because it's part of the normalization where we're like, it's part for the course, right? And I go, it doesn't have to be, but we can normalize it to be. And many people have. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just so much there that's making my head go, boo. Yes. Amazing. And one thing that popped into my head, well, there's so many things that, that pop into my head, but I know when I eventually walked away from, from a very toxic relationship, um, that I, I would remember having a, my teenage son in a therapist and I was in the office with him and um, the therapist looked at me and said, why did you stay? And I just sob cried and said, because I thought it was the loving thing to do because I had been fed through my generation of, you know, oh, especially growing up Catholic, like you stay, you stay, you make it work, you figure it out. Um, yes. And that question is so tragic. And it's not a question to ask lately. I mean, I know people ask it, but it is not. I, I mean, I would even say there's a rare time when it's appropriate to even ask that question to someone. And I know she was a therapist, but it's like, that question is so loaded and it was it, a male therapist definitely. and it's yeah and that's unfortunate because it's like there's a lot of misunderstanding I actually talk about this one I can't remember I think it's about midway into the book where I talk about healthy relationship privilege and many people who've had relationships that's never gone sour never gone harmful never gone to that dark place they'll sit on their they'll sit on their little soapbox and be like if it was me I'd leave and I go, that's your, that's literally you not enduring that type of relationship. And people are like, no, 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 I found, I saw it, I saw it fast and I was able to get out. And I'm like, right, but listen, everything has context. And I, this is the part I talk about in the book. I said, never allow people to take you out of context. Do not allow people to take you out of context, which means if you are a single mom that, is working her way up to, I don't know, like a promotion in her job and you're not making a lot of money and you're, you're, let's say you're single because you're separated from them. And they're like, why aren't you divorcing them? You realize like, I don't know if I can afford the lawyer retainer. I don't know what to do. I have to either feed my kids a grocery. I can either put this money to groceries or I can pay the thousands and thousands of dollars I owe for starting that, like, you know, to do this divorce retainer, whatever. And I sit there and I go, those are the real life contexts that people forget. And I mean, when you talk to people who are going through it, many people will list, like, they'll kind of have that response where they'll be like, I thought that was the loving thing to do. But when it gets really bad and when you know it is like, I mean, obviously it can, I could have been bad at that moment. Right. But like when it gets to the point where you're like, it's not just me thinking culturally, I need to do this. It's, I genuinely don't know how to physically do it. Right. So that means like, where are you going to live? Where are you, how are you going to be able to supply the next like grocery bill? How are you going to pay for gas? Right. There are some people in situations where they, if they get asked that question, they're like, 
there's literally barely options here. It's just put my head down, go to work, pretend I'm not in this type of relationship or this prison. And I just need to put my head down. And I'm talking to like, I'm talking to those people who are listening. Like that is as much as people are like, you should just get out. I'm like, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I'm like, you don't always have the ability to. So what I tell people is it really is about, I mean, yes, eventually we would want you to leave. Right. But if you're, if we're talking about you being able to gain awareness of it, this doesn't always look like the next day I'm just leaving them. There's many people that won't read the beginning of that book and be like, oh my God, yes, this is a harmful relationship. And you might not have the luxury to get out fast, right? My hope is that if you're getting physically injured and I talk about this, um, I actually cover this extensively. I talk about safety and how you have to create like the community build around you. If you really, if you are in a physical violent situation and you could end up like deceased, murdered, um, there's a whole nother factor of us just keeping safety. But if safety, like in, in your physical body is going to be, you know, safe enough, it also can take time. People forget this. They're like, oh, well, if you're not physically, you know, getting hurt, blah, blah, blah. that's actually where I tell people that's usually women or I mean, I know men can get into those physical situations as well. But like when you think about what is the final straw, many people think if they put their hands on me and I go, what if they make it an emotional hell? What if they make it an emotional manipulation like public humiliate, like what if they just rip you apart emotionally and people don't have a threshold for that. There's no threshold because they're going, I'll leave when they hit me. So that's what the abuser finds out. And they go, Oh, then I'll just make her life a living hell or make his life a living hell. And then I will just make sure I never physically injure her or him. And I sit there and I go, that threshold, I talk about trauma survivors thresholds sometimes are way too high. Like we are supposed to have thresholds of the way we get interacted with, right? So like, if you're telling me my threshold is if they put their hands on me, that also, that I'm being serious, like that means your threshold's too high because it, it is, it's a, it's, it's a very tragic thing for your even like self to hear you say, basically saying, you're allowed to destroy my mind, my mental well-being, my my ability of my uh, self-confidence, my self-esteem. Like you, you can destroy all those things, but don't destroy my body, right? And not that you're giving them permission, but you're by not having a threshold, you don't have a stopping point. There's no limit to how much they can give you or how much they can put you through, right? And so by not having a limit, that's a that's a danger zone for the brain. Like you have to have like, I will not be cursed at during a conflict. I will not have my family. We have a rule where we will not normalize slamming doors. So when my kids slam doors, I literally go directly to them. And I say, I remind them, I say, we can express our anger. Slamming doors creates a scary environment for the, for the other siblings and for our, for me and for your dad. And, and I talk about that. Why? Because remember the homes that normalize this type of behavior are the ones that end up with partners that cuss at them and throw things across the room. They don't touch them, 
but they throw the lamp or they slam the silverware on the ground or they throw things around, right? And I go, this is where that starts. The normalization starts when we enter into an environment where we normalize, like, in where we normalize uh, actions that elicit an unsafe environment, even psychologically. I don't even mean physically. Yes, we don't want to like injure someone by throwing a lamp. But if I create a house, just think about this. I have three children. I have a part, I have my husband. I, you know, we, we have a home. Like if I, every time I got upset, slammed the door, I will tell you as a therapist that that creates an unsafe environment for my children and my partner because they will hear the door slam. Maybe I have, maybe I slammed the bathroom door. Maybe I slammed my, my, you know, I have a couple doors that I could slam if I wanted to. Right. And what am I doing in the house? It's a, it's a manipulation tactic in some way because people are like, no, they're just upset. Right. And I go, yes, maybe kids aren't manipulating, but adults, they could choose to not slam that door. Right. And what they do because they're trying to express their anger, but in expressing their anger, they're creating an unsafe environment. And now there's an implication of, well, this is just how houses are. This is just how we fight. People throw things, people slam things. People scream at the top of their lungs. That's normal in our house, right? And I go, so when you get a partner that throws things and slams things and cusses at you and screams until they're beat red in the face, what is that going to look like to you? It's going to look similar to how you were raised, right? And so, of course, you think, yeah, it's messed up. I remember my mom doing that. I remember it feeling messed up. But it's kind of like expected, right? We all do that, right? And I go, people of emotional navigation skills, and that's not a word we hear about enough, but I tell people, emotional navigation skills are an entire skill set that parents don't get taught, adults don't get taught, we don't teach children emotional navigation skills. I know that my kids, thank heaven, like, they're getting more of that in their elementary school, but, like, most of the adults are like now lagging behind some of these kids. Like my daughter will come home and she's like, I know this breathing technique. And when I get overwhelmed, like this is what I do. And I'm like, do you know that I work with adults that literally don't know how to do that? I, I, I'm serious. And like, she'll realize like she, she can tell like when she's getting like overworked or something. And I'm like, listen, that is what an emotional navigation skill looks like. So when I work with clients that are 60, 70, you know, I have clients all over the aisle, all over the spectrum. And some of them, I mean, my, my generation, like the thirties, forties, like all of them, they also didn't have parents that had these skill sets. So they're realizing now, oh my gosh, I have to learn that. Or I'm never going to be able to not slam that door. And I go, yes, a lot of the skills that I talk about at the end of the book about recovering from these relationships is to allow yourself to understand you weren't given a chance to learn how to navigate your emotions. And then you ended up in a relationship that modeled the opposite, dysregulated emotions, projections, um, defense mechanisms, blame shifting, love bombing, like all the things. These are all like little kish words that like you find in this demographic. But like what I want you to hear is whether or not you know those words right now, you'll you'll know them eventually if you read that book. But like that, those 
like what I just talked about, those words, those are not in our vernacular. We don't grow up hearing about love bombing unless you're in this demographic already. Like many people know what love bombing is if you're in a demographic where you're healing from this type of relationship. But people who aren't, they're like, I don't know what that means. And I go, right, but we know what like, yeah, I'm trying to think of like a random thing we all know about. Like we know what Ghostbusters means, right? We all know what Ghostbusters are, right? If we we don't, we're not born knowing what a Ghostbuster is, but we all know what it is, right? Because what happened? We all got exposed to Ghostbusters. We all know what that picture is and that song is and that movie is. And we all know because it got normed in our culture, right? So I sit there and I go, well, no one's talking about emotional navigation skills. No one's talking about what it sounds like to be harmed and the words that describe the harm. I'll never forget some of my clients being like, I didn't know there was a word for what they were doing to me. I'm like, oh yeah, there's definitely a word. There's more than one word. (laughs) There's a lot of words for what they're doing to you. There's entire mechanisms like triangulation, flying monkeys. Like there's so many different words around harmful behavior. And guess what words do? They empower us. They empower us. And this is what people forget. They get scared of books like mine because they go, oh my God, I don't know if I can open it. I don't know if I can open it because that means I have to like name it. And I go, think about the ancient cultures for a second. Why did we get taught in these like ancient cultures, these cultures that are so wise that are going, there's power in a name. That's why many people wouldn't give up their name right? They'd be like, I'm not going to tell you there's power in my name. Right. And it's not like some people go spiritual. Some people just go the tangible, like, don't, I don't want you to know who I am. Right. But I go, listen, it's not just about your own name. I'm talking about naming and claiming that it's happening to you. Think about that. I'll name it and I will claim it as reality. Right. So if I say, If I give you the experience of triangulation, right? And that's, you know, it's a little, it's a little hard concept to cover in a second, but like basically like uh, blame shifting, that's a little more straightforward, like shifting blame to something else, right? Um, If I give you that word, if you think about like what it means to identify that while it's happening, if me and you are in a fight and I go, I really want to talk about what happened yesterday, you know, when we were talking on the phone and you go, or no, I say, I really want to talk about like how it went. You know, I didn't, I felt like, you know, I felt attacked. I, and so I'm using I statements. I felt attacked. I felt frustrated. And your response is, okay, like you're an angel, like you're perfect. Like, okay, you've disappointed me you've upset me in the past. And the thing is, is I cover that in the book. I talk about like, we don't even have to invalidate that. If you're my best friend and I go, you're right. I have probably disappointed you. I just want to make sure we stay on topic for a second so we can make sure we tackle one thing at a time. I will circle back to that with you, but I need us to tackle one thing at a time. So why I brought this up so we can start there. And we can end up, if you would like to, circling back to some of the ways I disappointed you. Absolutely. We can do that. I just want to make sure we tackle this first, right? So what is that? I just named blame shifting, where someone uses that as a defense mechanism, right? And they go, they get uncomfortable because they're getting faced with something they did had an implication. 
And so many of the generations, including my generation, this is the one thing I'm hoping that's changing. I very, very hope it's changing, uh, is our ability to have accountability, right? What is your ability to have accountability, right? And so most of the things that were modeled to the generations before us were your parent could never be in the wrong. They could never have a bad take. You could never challenge them on them. It is the way it is. I said it is. So it is. So like you didn't get to have any type of accountability. If your parents hurt your feelings, if you were like, Hey mom, that they'd be like, I'm your mom. That's what's going to happen. You know, I am going to hurt your feelings sometimes. And it's like, just accept it. Just accept that I treat you poorly and just believe that it's for your own good. And I go, what kind of narrative? is that child or maybe adult child at this point, right? The adult child of the parent. Um, what did we just normalize? That if I hurt you, it's for your own good. Okay, so what happens when that person finds a partner? They could be like, well, they're they're only they're only so they're only so jealous because they love me so much. They only they only want me to not be with my friends like this weekend because they love me so much. Right. And I go, that sounds very controlling. When was the last time you hung out with your friends? Well, we started dating a few months ago. I've seen them like once, maybe once or twice. And I go, how often did you see them before them? And they're like, oh, I saw them like all the time. They were really part of my life. And I go, what's happening there? Right. Like what is happening there? That is the issue that's happening about power and control. And there's isolation tactics happening. But going back to what I was saying is, The naming and claiming is the first step. If you don't have the language for your experience, how do you describe it? How do you even tangibly hold it emotionally? How do you even identify more than just like, oh, this is just every day. It's another Monday, right? But if I looked at you and I go, in that situation, you just got like five defense mechanisms thrown at you. You got manipulated three times. Um, and, you know, they just ripped you apart. And you just, you said that's normal. That's a normal Monday, right? So what if I gave you the words for those five things? And can you claim it? That's a huge thing that happens is I can sit there and say, this is what blame shifting looks like. But they're like, no, 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 they don't do that that bad. They don't do it that bad. Right. This is classic in like that pre-contemplation. I don't know. This is a therapy world word, but like basically like when we talk about the stages of change. Right. And what is going to lead someone through a next stage? Where are they going to get to the next stage of change? And when you think about that, like ambivalent stage, right, where we're like, uh, maybe I maybe they're not healthy. Maybe they're not, maybe they are not that bad. Right. And so you hear this like ambivalence, like maybe they're harming me. Maybe they're not. No, no, no. I don't know. No, no, no. Right. And so they're going back and forth. And so it is kind of scary for some people to get these words like they are love bombing you. They are triangulating you. They are using blame shifting. They are using passive aggression. Like, they're neglecting you. Right. And they're like, no, no, no. They just, they, they, you know, like when I bring stuff up, they, they just, you know, they, they, they kind of tell me like, just let it go. And I'm like, okay, well, do you ever process it? I'm like, well, he makes it seem like I'm like holding a grudge, but I'm not holding a grudge. I'm just trying to figure out like how to get better, like how to like talk to each other better. But it seems like 
they're not really interested in like having any type of conversation around that. And I go, well, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. That's because they don't have the emotional strategies to get you like not to get they don't have the emotional strategies to like deal with that kind of conflict and the only strategy they have is to make that situation go away right right and that's the hard part is when we normalize that like how many times have we heard it's water under the bridge brush off your shoulders it's over let it go and I go well my question is was that ever processed because I'm all for letting it go process it and let it go. That's fine. Like I, I adhere to a lot of like Buddhism principles. So I'm like, yes, release, do not attach, like let that go. Right. (laughs) All right. That's beautiful. Letting go can be very beautiful, but, but what, what an abuser will do is they'll ask you to bypass the processing and skip to letting it go. So if you and me are fighting and I go and you go, you know, I really want to talk to you about like, our fight last night. And I go, could you just let it go? Like you are one of my most naggy friends. I don't know why you linger onto some of these things. What am I doing? I'm basically telling you it's not safe to bring up conflict with me. I'm making, I'm shaming you for bringing up a concern. And then I'm telling you that there's nowhere to go with this except bypassing, right? And so, of course, you're sitting there and you're like, maybe I do overthink. Maybe I am like lingering. Maybe I am trying to hold a grudge, right? Because you're like, surely this, this, he's, they're making me feel like I'm the bad guy for like talking to them about like a fight that they started last night. And I go, that's not an accident. It's not an accident. If you feel like you're doing something wrong when you're trying to process something that happened, like some kind of conflict or some kind of dialogue that went wrong, that's not an accident. <laughs> like you there, I want to give you the example of like healthy relationships will be like, I'm going to model this, right? They, if, if it's the best friend thing, me and you talking, it would be like, absolutely. I, I also want to talk about it. Let like you go first, right? So what am I doing? I'm creating a space for processing. I'm normalizing that feeling that is it's okay to process our pain together. And I also recognize something about what happened yesterday that didn't go the way I wanted to. So I'm trying to notice what it is. Like I'm trying to pay attention to that, right? So what I did was I gave space for the conversation to occur in a healthy way. But when you're with a toxic partner and they show toxic traits, like harmful traits, they're going to do the exact opposite. There's no space for this conversation. I will not return to it, right? And I try to give you some nuance here. Some people take a little bit of time to process, okay? So there might be partners that are, you know, there might be people listening and they're like, my partner sometimes asks for time like some time to process. Right. So like, let's say we're talking about something and they're like, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of holding a lot of things right now. Um, can we circle back to this like later tonight? Or can we circle back to this tomorrow morning when we both have coffee in the morning? Right. 
that's sometimes perceived as avoidance, but I need to clarify that. That is not avoidance. That's most likely your partner being very aware of their capacity to manage a conflict, like a conflictual conversation. And it's probably for the benefit of the relationship and the conversation to respect when they can process. Does that make sense? Because when you force someone to process and they're literally, let's say, they just got slammed with some work project and they just came home and they're like, I, I literally can't even think right now. And I'm not trying to deprioritize this conversation, but I'm not even in a place where I can hold it. That's part of the dynamic of like a healthy relationship is like pausing and allowing time for the person to give you like clarity, right? In toxic relationships, this is the nuance. They might use that strategy. Give me time and never circle back. Right. And they'll do it. I was going to say, you'll know the next morning when you say, hey, are you ready to talk about it? (laughs) Which one it is? Because. Exactly. They'll tell them themselves. Right. Hey, everyone. It's Terry Welbrock just taking a little break mid-episode. I know for the past couple of episodes, I have been talking about my new role another new role and all of my hats that I wear, uh, obtaining my life and health insurance license here in the state of South Carolina, although I'm not limited to South Carolina in uh, being able to help people. Uh, So no matter where you are in the United States, um, reach out to me at terrywellbrock.com. And there's a tab on my website that is says request a quote. Um, I'm also looking for people to join my team. So If you are interested in learning about some work from home opportunities, um, please go to that page, that request a quote page on terrywellbrock.com and scroll down. Well, you need to fill in name and what state you're in and all that fun stuff. Um, But you can down at the bottom, it says, uh, yes, I'm interested or I know somebody who might be interested in uh, work from home opportunities. So, all right. Now back to today's wonderful episode. Thanks. They'll tell you exactly what they're doing, the strategy that they're doing. And this is, I know we're going to run out of time soon, but I, I tell people there's a couple of things that I like to leave people with because sometimes when they read my book, they go, oh my gosh, I think I was some of the toxic one at some point. And I go, listen, for anyone that thinks, oh gosh, I was the one who was harmful. First of all, I like to tell people I showed a lot of these behaviors. And I, to this day, if I don't catch myself, I'll be like, Ooh, I'm going into a defensive mechanism. Right. Okay. So we're not going to be perfect people, but I tell people you are who you continue to be. Okay. So if you have something where you, you used a passive aggressive strategy, or you were kind of not being attentive and you were downplaying something, or you weren't holding yourself accountable, right? I just tell people, you are who you continue to be. We're not always going to have 100% days. But when we have days where we're struggling, I tell people, it's more important for you to understand who you are aiming to become so you can understand that you're not going to get stuck in these cycles or these patterns that, that followed you for generations, right? That you don't have to be the mom that isn't accountable for what happened, or you don't have to be the person that's passive aggressive and, you know, the one who like hates their husband, but they've been married to them forever, right? Like, it's like, you don't have to be that person, right? So you are who you continue to be. And then one other thing for the person, for the people that are like, questioning um 
where their partner is and if they are harmful or not harmful. Um, I tell people there's proof in the pattern, right? So if you had a bad day and it's a one really rare, like you're just like, yeah, I was snippy. I shouldn't have said that to you. I, that was not okay. Right. That's not really showing a pattern, right? So if you just had a bad day and you like, you know, you were mean in that conversation and you're like, I'm not really proud of what I did. Um, I obviously need to develop some better strategies with my stress response. Um, that's fine. The thing is, we're not going to be perfect people. We aren't. Please just hear that. No one's going to be perfect. We're never going to be on our all. All of us are not going to be on our A game, especially when we're unlearning these issues. This is the hardest part is we will catch it usually right after we did it. Right. So we can catch, oh, I'm being passive aggressive, but we already did it. Right. And so I go, well, we are who we continue to be. And if someone's consistently being passive aggressive to you, like as in that is their default self, then there's proof in the pattern, which means we can start adding that to our log, like listen to your brain, listen to the pattern and say, oh, this pattern's not breaking. I've caught them in a lie 20 times in the past month. I've caught them in a passive aggressive like mechanism 20 times in the past month. And I sit there and I go, that is where that's them normalizing that behavior. There's a big difference between someone consistently showing up with a harmful trait and someone having a bad day once in a blue moon and that them getting paranoid. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I don't want to turn into the harmful one. And I'm like, listen. That is what I need you to listen to. It's like when you're trying to identify that, there's proof in the pattern. There's proof in the pattern that's getting exposed to you inside of yourself, but also there's proof in the pattern of other people. So that's about self-trust, right? People struggle with that in toxic relationship recovery. You have to trust that the pattern you are seeing is actually a pattern of destruction. That's that's a big talking point. I know like I know oh, we're sure. wrapping up, but <laughs> well, I could, I, I mean, honestly, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. It's such brilliant wisdom that I just like, and there are so many things that I was like, Oh, let's go back to that. Oh, let's go back to that. I'll have to have you come back on the show. Yeah, because, We can always do another. <laughs> oh, for sure. Because you know, the financial, like I, I, I've oh. never had anyone talk about that before. And I know for me, that was a big part of the control. Um, and even to this day, like I'm still in the last year of a buyout with my ex-husband on a company we own together. And so I'm terrified to talk about it. And that, I was thinking that as you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, that's still controlling. And, you know, we haven't been together for however many, you know, over a decade. And it's like, um, that that's a huge part of it. And so, gosh, yes, I, I've, I've learned so much and I can know yeah. I could learn so much more from you. So thank you for yeah, Gosh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, the only thing I'll leave you guys with is that the book is available on like all these different platforms that is on audiobook. Um, it is me. I was able to narrate it. I was like, dream come true. Um, so it is my voice. And uh, yes, you can get it on Kindle. You can also just get it on Amazon. I think target.com. You can go to Barnes and Noble. It's physically in Barnes and Noble. So you can find it at Barnes and Noble. But the one thing I'll tell anyone who's listening, if you really are interested in the book, I would say just check out the reviews. Like some of them, some of the reviews like blow my mind on Amazon. I was dumbfounded when I read some of them because 
it's, it's just touching on all the different ways people have gotten things out of the book. And so I was really worried that people were going to only um, grab the book if they had a, a partner, but they were hesitant to buy it if it was a family member or a friend or a boss. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, reading, reading the reviews. And I was, that was my hope. I was like, I'm hoping that I can write this book in a way that is translatable for more than just the partnerships. And that's where the reviews are confirming that for me. They're like, it's so much it's yes, it says it's for partnerships, but if you're going through this relationship or this friendship or this, you know, boss situation, the reviews are coming in now and I'm realizing, uh, it did work. Like people are able to do that translation. So for anyone who's listening, who really is trying to identify is my, is my parents, like, are my parents treating me poorly? Um, am I in a toxic workplace, right? Like this is a book that can definitely show you what it looks like feet on the ground. And it'll give you tangible examples of like, hey, this is that type of behavior modeled on a regular Monday. That's what it would look like on a regular Monday, right? So just saying that just for all of your listeners to be reassured that like it really does translate pretty well to like any dynamic that they might be going through. Wonderful. Well, yeah, I know you and I talked just before hitting record about I had a toxic friendship and that was that was the hardest. That was one of the hardest things of all the traumas I've been through, horrific traumas in my childhood, that one, because it was someone I trusted where so many of the you know other things that had happened to me in my early life were by um you know neighbors who molested me or but this was someone I'd given my heart to as a friend and yeah that one was just like wow (laughs) yeah so I mean this is you could speak to it right like you can speak to like how devastating it can feel and that's where like you know leaving on a, a note of hope like that the end of the book really creates a trajectory of like growth right so really by the time you get to the second part of the book I've already laid out the framework of like, we're getting better. We're getting better. We're going to recover from this. Like we're going to get better. Like we are going to change the pattern that was normalized for us. Right. And so I don't really mince my words. I give you strategies. I give you deep questions. So, I mean, one of the reviewers was like, I was dumbfounded with how deep the question she asked me. Like I had to get to know myself. Like, and I'm like, no, that's what I'm hoping that the book does is helps to get to know yourself again after someone robbed you of your identity. And so that is the story of hope at the end of the book. By the time you close the book, my hope is that you cannot understand yourself better and you can have hope that you don't have to ever have a toxic relationship enter your life and tolerate it ever again. I love it. All right. So how do folks connect with you? Where do they find you? So you can find me on socials. I'm on almost every single one. <laughs> um, you know, all the all the big ones. Uh, I'm under Recollected Self. That's one word. Um, and then you can go to recollectedself.com. That's like people can work with me there. I actually, I'm no longer taking therapy clients. Um, that one's full, but I do have like coaching available. I kind of created a whole coaching program from this. Um, so if you are interested in that, you can go to my website, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different ways that you could interact with me, but I love email. People can email me things that one. Um, that's hello at recollectedself.com. 
Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. But awesome. you know, I really, I really do love people interacting with me. So anyone who has any feedback, you know, go ahead and send me a message. Awesome. All right. Well, again, it's just been so informative and educational. Thank you for being here and just shining your light. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you again for being a part of this healing space and my hashtag hope for healing journey. Thank you for sharing, liking, inviting others to join, listening in. Uh, You've really helped this show blossom. It has now been downloaded in 136 countries and is in the top 2% globally out of 3.2 million shows, which is just amazing. And it's all because of you. And you're tuning in and inviting others and sharing and liking and loving. And your reviews on Apple really help too. My goal is to hit 100 five-star reviews uh, by the end of the year. And I am closing in on that. So if you are listening in on Apple or Apple Podcasts, please go and rate the show and leave a review if you absolutely love it. And uh, I would be most appreciative. Also, if you would like to receive my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, please be sure to go to terrywellbrock.com. It's T-E-R-I, just one R, W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K.com. And I have a, uh, a gift to send you for signing up for that monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. Plus, there are many other resources listed on that page, including a resource library. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.